This episode of the New Zealand Brewer Podcast is brought to you by Brew Shop, and they would like to invite all New Zealand Brewer Podcast listeners to save 10% on ingredients when using coupon code NZBREWER at brewshop.co.nz. That's brewshop.co.nz. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 36 of the New Zealand Brewer Podcast. This is John Ojaka. Also on the line with me is Gary Henwood. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing well, thanks, John. Lovely to be here. That's great, Gary. It's been a while. It's been fucking ages, John. It's been like, uh, how long has it been? It's been like six months. <sighs> what? Yeah. Um, John's been moonlighting as a fairy princess, that's why. What? What, is, what does fucking- that mean? When was the last time you brewed a beer, John? I think you should change the name of it. I, I, I New Zealand beer. Fairy Princesses. All the time. I don't know what you're talking about. When was about. the last ask the question? Uh, I, I, sorry, you're cutting. Okay. <laughs> Are you on Skype, Gary? Get a, I can't even understand. No one can understand what you're saying. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so to, on tonight's show, we're going to be talking. Uh, we're going to be talking with Wilderness Brewing. Uh, came by uh, came by request from one of our uh, Patreon supporters, Gary. We have a Patreon page. Did you know that? Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, we have. You did know that though. I did. You did six um, months ago. You, we we had yep, and we we have a Patreon page, and we have a growing number of supporters, which is really really appreciated. When you become a Patreon supporter, you get um. You get like all the recipes on the show all written up for you and uh, a little so, some other goodies. But more, most importantly, I think most importantly, uh, you you help uh, you help keep the, <laughs> the lights on for the show. An odd thing to say, <laughs> <laughs> given that like literally within, I think, a week of, of launching the Patreon campaign, uh, Patreon campaign and putting out an episode, we just went quiet for like we literally went dark for six months. Um, <laughs> but uh, but but it's a lot of work wrangling up advertisers and sponsors and uh, and I don't, I don't know how much more of that I have in me. Um, but thanks to uh, the the Patreon supporters, um, we're we've got some wind in our sails, Gary. We're 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 mm. back at it. Mm. We've got another round of um, fantastic New Zealand beer related and home brewing related content coming the listener's way and I for one am excited and I, I know you are mm. yeah very excited yeah yeah so um I don't know well we should probably crack into a beer it's been it's it's long overdue don't you don't it's you been reckon? six months since I drank a beer <laughs> it's been six months since you since you drank a beer and same here obviously um so are you gonna are you gonna crack into a uh, a beer jerk beer there, Gary? One of our fine sponsors. Yeah. yeah, I'll do that. I'm just gonna go and get it. <laughs> you don't have your beer jerk beer. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, well, while while Gary goes and gets his his beer jerk beer, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little bit about Beer Jerk. So uh, Beer Jerk, as mentioned, is one of our fine sponsors. And if you, well, what they specialize in is bringing the world's best craft beer to New Zealand craft beer drinkers. If you're looking to get your hands on some pretty 
pretty tasty beers, then really you need look no further than beerjerk.co.nz. They are, again, one of New Zealand's leading online craft beer retailers. Now, Beer Jerk specializes in delivering rare, new, or interesting beers from New Zealand and around the world right to your door. They have an amazing array of beers in their online store, and they also offer a range of curated cases that you're going to want to check out. In fact, while you're over at beerjerk.co.nz, be sure to check out their curated mixed cases. With a mixed case, you get uh, with a mixed case, you you just select the case by style, and the beer jerk team will send you a very special selection of beers based on your selected style. This way, you can try a bunch of beers that you wouldn't otherwise pick up in a style that suits you. So, if you love pale ales, for example, and you want to try 12 different beers in that style, then you can just grab that mix case, and beer jerk will send you a case of 12 unique pale ales or whichever style, of course, you select. Now, this is a great way to try something you wouldn't normally try and educate your palate while you're at it and on top of that when you use the new coupon code brewer podcast that's coupon code brewer podcast you'll receive free shipping on any order over $50 at beerjerk.co.nz so once more if you want to get your hands on some amazing and unique craft beers from New Zealand and around the world then go to beerjerk.co.nz that's beerjerk.co.nz and use coupon code brewer podcast today all right, so what's your uh, what's your beer jerk beer of the week, Gary? Wow, what I have here, John, is a beer jerk exclusive. This is from Hallatau Brewery uh, in Riverhead. Yeah, and we've got the original Gangster IPA, so only available presumably through Beer Jerk, which is pretty epic. Cool. Uh, bottled June twenty twenty. We'll see what is it? What what kind of IPA? What's the what's the bottle uh, description? Just, there? Dude, it's just an IPA. For fuck's sake! It doesn't have to be any type of IPA, right? Just just IPA. Just that's all it yes. says. Or can you can, do you not know? Can you not be bothered reading? Um, is your <laughs> eyesight going? Like what's what's it's just an IPA? Like a good old fashioned IPA, not a fucking hazy IPA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We all love to bash hazies, but we do like we do like them. you like no, hazy IPAs. Drink, you you do you like it? I don't drink them. You, I know you like it. I'm sick of them. I drink pineapple juice instead. <clears throat> no, you you like them. <laughs> pineapple juice sounds good though. We should start a you know like a smoothie podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how is it? Tell us tell us how the beer is, Gary. It smells really good. Yeah, it's light. Uh, how would I describe that? Almost like a hellas sort of a color. Quite light for an IPA. Um, smells like smells like dandelions and um, just you know sunshine. Dandelions and sunshine. Yeah, fantastic. So like so it's a little bit of citrusy, um, tiny bit of malt coming through. It smells like a nice. Good old fashioned IPA. Nice. Well, that's good, and uh, yeah, it's good, in good, good, good condition. Yeah, yeah, reasonable condition. It's not, it's not the freshest it's ever going to be, but it's not bad either. Um, for coming up six months old, we should clarify um, when you say things like that that like we're especially you are super ultra snobs when it comes to freshness. Like, so to say it's in like what did you say? Not the best condition, but pretty good. That's actually a pretty high high compliment. Oh, um, it is a high from you from on, when it comes to packaging. IPA, IPA that's six yeah. months old. Yeah, yeah, especially a smaller bottle too. Um, yeah, that's no, good. It, it's just it reminds me of yeah, just IPAs that we used to brew back in the day. Mm. Um, 
just well balanced, good bitterness, nice, not over the top hops, just a refreshing, nice drinking IPA. Nice. So if you like mm-hmm. IPAs, you you could head on over to Beer Drink, get that mixed case, select IPA, and hey, you never know, you might get you might get one of those. What is it? OG IPA or something like that. The original gangster. Original the OG, gangster. Right. Um, yeah. Nice. That. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I I got a very very nice gift in the mail uh, just a, a week or two ago, which uh, from Kedidu Brewing Company. Uh, they sent me uh, a uh, advent calendar, like a Kedidu advent calendar. So each and wow. every day this month, I pop open the little slot and I get my I have a I have a beer waiting for me a full normal you know 330 mil beer and today was the being December 1st as we're recording this listeners will hear it a little bit later but um uh it was day number one for my Kedidu uh smorgasbord of beer over the next month and I I've got a big pigeon pilsner uh in hand which I'm excited to try I've not had a, a pilsner I don't think from uh, Kedidu, what, what's their description? Uh, it's a clean, crisp New Zealand pilsner made with premium pilsner malt and cold conditioned for weeks until matured. Um, boldly flavored with Makatu hops from Bittering or for, for Bittering, Bittering and for Bright Finish, Nelson Savin and Machueca. So let's see. Nice, uh, very clear uh, pilsner. And yeah, I think I think that that mott's coming through. It tastes like a. It tastes really. You know, we've we've said this before, and it's it, we're only half joking. It tastes very beery. You know what I mean? It tastes just exactly like you kind of want a a, a a nice classic kind of pilsner to taste. There's nothing really um, poking out or showing off. It's not new world or anything like that it just tastes like a good solid beer um and uh i'm stoked to have it in my glass as we uh as we get rolling on the podcast good stuff all right so gary i got a question for you what is it john what's the question buddy you go you far away mate what's going on what's going on what's going on in the brewery Gary Henwood from Kainui Brew Co. What is going on in the brewery? What is happening? Fill us in on the goings-on, the day-to-day, the life and times of an up-and-coming independent brewery in the far north of New Zealand. What's what's new? Did you just try and get away without playing the music? I, I don't know what you're you talking about. Damn it! It's that, gonna... that Skype's it's cutting out again. I can't. Ah, I can't. I, this, I didn't. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? I didn't. This is not the same. Sorry, you're not. You're not Whoa. coming through. Let's try. I'll do. Whoa. I'll just talk for a little bit, um, and then hopefully it sorts itself out. <laughs> um, what, Gary, what what is going on in the brewery? What's new? It's been six months. What's happened at at Kainui Bruco? Uh, we've shot shut down <laughs> have you really completely, <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary, that's completely possible done. with Gary. well have you shut down to move locations or no yeah yeah we have have you really uh the, the, our caliphant um got decommissioned today at this place because well um i don't know if i've mentioned i probably have um that this where we're living is being rats. sold yeah so. you, have, you have rats 
Yeah, well, the, everyone has rats. The health huge. department came and just... They did, actually. The health department came, but we, we passed, um, which is lucky because that's, you know, important. Um, it wasn't the health department, it was the MPI. But anyway, so we are moving a uh, different location. So the plan is to eventually build a building at the vineyard uh, that's going to be <clears throat> a, a brewery slash vineyard slash events space um, that is still, you know, being planned and underway. Um, that's still in planning. Uh, so that will be hopefully getting started January, February next year. But in the meantime, we're moving a house, so we're moving brewery too. Um, nice little shed just by the new house. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, an eventful time right now. I'm trying to get... Sorry, I don't know if I got out. that right. You, so you're moving um, to an intermediary space. You're, you're, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were actually going to stay where you were until the new place was actually up. But well, that was that was the original plan. But now we're moving to an intermediary intermediary space. But because um, of it, rats. it may, it may, because of what rats? rats. Yeah, right, right. And because was well, because of your mum actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sitting here. She, she came around and um, we had an argument, and she. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're moving. And, I mean, I don't know whether – I'm starting to think maybe we'll, we'll just keep it and have two breweries, um, which is just because it sounds cool. Um, but, you know, like maybe keep some, some experimental stuff going in the, in the little shed by the house. And then as we move into the new space, maybe, maybe even come up with a new – brewery of some sort a bigger scale so um that's what i'm thinking right now really too um, why why would you do that why would you do why not just blow up kainui bruco well i mean it'd be good to be able to keep um you know some experimental stuff on this on that smaller brewery and not use it and you know have a bigger one in the new space and have the the bigger size you know bigger because <clears throat> i don't want to brew i'm never going to want to brew 1200 liters of an experimental beer um so was, I, I just love this our little brewery and it would be cool to now we're just going to be very well set up so it just seems right. a shame to to waste that space but i mean who knows mm. I, haven't made, I haven't made any decisions but i was just thinking to myself can the yeah, little one be my brewery can i just maybe can i mean they're going to be very close by you know it's literally just across the river like walking distance so it's not like it would be too much of a hardship to to keep them both running yeah um, yeah yeah, cool. That's, that's a possibility, you know, and it gives us more space and um, it could just be a wild brewery and we just, you know, keep them separate, which I don't really care about. But, um, you know, that, that's potential for that because in a winery, you know, it's probably more important to keep your bugs out. Um, so, yeah. And how, and how possible. is how is uh, Kainui Bruco weathered these last six months with uh, COVID and all the craziness? Uh, I think we have, we've had an episode since COVID, haven't we? But... We um, have, think, we have, but yeah. it's, it was June 3rd, I think, when the last episode came out. Right. Um, yeah, so COVID really, I mean, we didn't we didn't brew during COVID, just enjoyed some time off. Um, since then... But like, what's <coughs> it looking like now that the dust is sort of settling and New Zealand is starting to feel pretty much like New Zealand again? Well, I mean, for us, we're okay because we're, <clears throat> we're in... Um, traveling distance or quite close traveling distance for, for you know, New Zealand's main center, mm. Auckland, um, biggest population. So we are not really seeing an effect uh, at our restaurant brewery, uh, our restaurant um, tap room. 
um, we're still, you know, the numbers are still up and we're still getting a lot of business and getting through a lot of beer. Um, I feel sorry for the Aucklanders though because when those when Aucklanders leave Auckland, they're not being replaced by anyone else. Right. Um, well, you know, to you know, to to the degree that they would have been. So I think yeah, Auckland is sort of spreading the love, but they're not getting anything back from what I can gather. Um, That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. So we are actually still looking pretty good. Um, yeah, still getting a lot of customers through the doors and selling a lot of beer. So. So much so that I'm actually starting to worry that we won't have enough for summer. But, you know, when we're moving and, um, you know, there's going to be a downtime. Uh, and we've got a concert coming up on the January the 8th. So we are looking a bit tight there, John. Mm, how, mu- how much downtime? When when will the new uh, uh, burners be firing? Uh, let's say two weeks. Two weeks? Oh, that's not too bad. You, you can do it. I know you can. Oh, we can easily do it within that time frame. That's... It's easy, um, but it's you know it's, it's getting the floors painted, it's getting the walls painted, it's getting the um, the you know electrician through to fit off, and then get it all fired up, and then you know get everything shifted, and because we've still got beer fermenting here, um, so yeah, I mean it, it's going to be fun, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Very cool, very cool, very cool. Well, we got we got business to take care of, Gary. Uh, we got business. we got business. Um, we're going to we're gonna we're gonna be talking with Wilderness Brewing, very highly highly rated brew, uh, brewing company or brewery in New Zealand. Um, they make some pretty cool beers, uh, and uh, we're gonna crack into into a couple of them perhaps a bit later. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna step away and um, let. Uh, let, wow, what are we? What, what's happening? Where Whoa. did I go? Just what? I just honestly do. I think this is. I think we've reached our where our it's over. And we, we, Damn it's it. I thought we could. I, I don't know, Gary. I just. I thought it'd be all right. Nah, you man, know. This, nah, we're done, mate. This is fucked. <laughs> just. I, I just. You no mean, you, I really no wanted it. I just, get a hold of yourself. I wanted to work. Shit it. Show. I just wanted it to work. Oh. We're going to take a break, and when we return, it's Wilderness Brewing Company. On New Zealand Fairy Princess Podcast. (laughs) Back in a sec. You're listening to the New Zealand Brewer Podcast. Just as the Grainfather all-in-one brewing system revolutionized all-grain brewing at home, the Grainfather conical fermenter and glycol chiller take this one step further by giving homebrewers state-of-the-art temperature-controlled fermentation just like commercial breweries use. With a full array of features including insulated double-walled construction, an innovative dual-valve yeast dump and sampling tap, and an integrated heating element and temperature controller, the conical fermenter provides a prof- professional quality fermenting environment for superior temperature control. With the ability to individually power and control the temperature of up to four Grainfather conical fermenters, each with their own fermenting schedule, the Grainfather glycol chiller is the perfect addition to ensure superior fermenting results. And for a limited time, you can save 10% on your order by going to grainfather.com and entering coupon code NZB during checkout. Once again, enter coupon code NZB when you order the Grainfather conical fermenter or glycol chiller at grainfather.com. Once again, that's grainfather.com. 
All right, on the line with me is Oliver Drake from Wilderness Brewing. Oliver, thanks for being here today. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, I guess let's just jump right into it. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about Wilderness Brewing, you know, who you are, what you do at the brewery, uh, where you're located, you know, what kind of brewery you are in terms of the, the physical space itself, um, batch size, that sort of thing. Sure. So we're based in Christchurch. We have a brew length of about 100 liters and we've been going for two and a half, almost three years. Mm-hmm. Um, our main focus tends to be, I guess, wild ales, uh, sort of barrel-aged stuff, nice. a lot of, sort of um, yeast-focused styles, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actual physical brewery is located in our shed behind our house. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So, so how do you uh, like? What's your annual sort of production capacity or, or not capacity I suppose but just production quantity yeah at the moment we're sort of running about maybe 5,000 liters per year gotcha and, and and how is that beer sold is it keg primarily is it in bottles how do you how do you package it yeah we sort of do um, more quick turnaround styles mainly in keg mainly here in Christchurch gotcha and then we've got a barrel program which a lot of that tends to go into bottle and that's full bottle conditioned, mixed firm sort of stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Well, sounds like a brewery after after my own uh, heart. I'm very much a fan of sour beer and barrel aged stuff, and you know, I know you know which we'll get into. You, you've done at least at least a few stouts by the sound of it. Um, so let's you know let's let's I, I, as we're recording this, and you know, I think the listeners know we record these interviews in advance of the sort of opening and closing segments of the show. Um, and as of this moment, I have not had the pleasure of trying your beer, but um, I believe you were going to send some up. So hopefully, hopefully, by the time listeners are hearing this, we will have already cracked into one, uh, and and we'll be enjoying it. But um, why don't you kind of? Take us back to the beginning. So, so I was just doing some research, you know, thinking about future guests for the show, and I went to Untapped and ran a search for top-rated New Zealand breweries, and found you guys right up there at, at number two. You're the currently, as of this recording, the the second highest-rated uh, brewery in New Zealand, and for a podcast whose mission is to tell the story of New Zealand beer, that seemed like uh, a story worth telling. So, so one, um, you're this this tiny nano brewery doing 100 liter batch sizes uh in Christchurch and you've somehow managed to climb the ranks to be the second highest rated brewery in New Zealand I know from our conversations you were at one point the, the highest rated brewery in New Zealand you know how this happened how'd you get started um how'd your journey into beer begin yeah sure um I guess I started home brewing back in around 2012 so what's that about eight years ago now yeah. um and I went through the usual progression of starting with the, you know, kit beers for a little bit. Right. And then started doing um, little um, partial volume boils on the stove with extract. And then after about a year or so, I started doing all grain brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pretty quickly kind of got the sour bug. So started doing mixed firm after I started doing all grain. Um, doing a lot of Flanders Reds and things like that. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of went out of control. <laughs> yeah, very cool. Were you entering uh, like homebrew competitions and things like that? Just doing it for yourself? What What was yeah. your experience like? Yeah, a lot of it was just, um, I was just really interested in learning about brewing and brewing different styles and 
part of that was definitely entering competitions to get, you know, feedback on what I was doing. And, sure. Um, yes, yeah, so I did that for a few years and I guess eventually decided I'm brewing so much beer, I might as well try and sell some. Yeah, yeah. So started a brewery. Nice, nice. I'm just, I like to, this is sort of a weird um, question that's maybe even hard to pin down, but I like to try to talk a little bit about uh, what inspires brewers um, and what excites them about beer, because I think it's different for everyone. You know, some people go to university and, and get a, a, a chemistry background or microbiology background and then and then ultimately uh, find a job opening and go right into the the commercial thing. Others fall in love with home brewing, and when we do that, sometimes it's for economic reasons. Other times it's uh, because we love hops, and other times it's because we love history and, and and historical styles. And so I find you know much to sometimes my surprise that not everyone loves beer for the same reasons I do, which tends to be a little more the history side of things, and everyone comes to it for different reasons. Um, and especially for someone like yourself who's been in it a little while, you know, like you've been in it for long enough to be at the, we can't say the beginning of the homebrew craze, but it's still, that's, that's a, a bit of time ago. You know, it's really changed in the last eight years. I first brewed my first homebrew beer in 1999, um, if you can believe that, and took a, a bunch of time off um, as I was, you know, moving around the, well, the world and then kind of got back into it. Um, yeah, probably around the same time, 2011, 2012. And it was a very, back once upon a time, especially going back to my very first crack at it, uh, it was a really romantic thing. You know, back in 1999, there wasn't, I mean, the internet existed, but it didn't have, we didn't have access to the wealth of information about brewing that we did. So it all kind of took place in books and in our minds. And, and a lot of that was still there 10 years ago, but not everyone, you know, geeks out on it for the same reason. So what is it that, you know, kind of, lights your fire when it comes to beer. Um, there's probably a couple of different major influences or interests, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, one is definitely the, the fermentation side of things. Um, still still find it pretty amazing how different a beer tastes before and after fermentation. Right. And things you can do with yeast and bacteria. Um, and yeah, I do like hoppy beers as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I brew a few of those. Um, but then also really like, I really like cooking yeah, um, yeah, just for fun, you know? Sure. So I like playing around with flavor combinations that maybe I've picked up from a, from a meal or from a cocktail or something like that and seeing if we can work that into a beer somehow. Sure. And then also on the, I don't get into historical styles that much, but mm -hmm. I really, really into what's happening or what has happened in Belgium for, hundreds of years and you know all the lambic tradition and all that kind of stuff right I find that really fascinating yeah yeah and, and do you have a background in anything that relates to beer or you know what's your what's your background uh not really uh i studied uh, electrical engineering here yeah. in christchurch and i uh, work as a software engineer very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and engineer tends to be the second most popular answer, I think, <laughs> after you know something like microbiology or chemistry. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so so let's go back. You know, you say it's uh, eight years ago or so. You're tinkering. You, you get the you get the obsessed with the hobby, and and you you quickly get into the sour and funky beers and all the stuff. But it's only what what did you say? Two and a half years ago, you decided to go pro. 
Yeah, about that. Yeah. So what what sparked that that transition exactly? What happened that you thought I'm going to I'm not busy enough um, uh, with my life? I'm going to go and take all that free time and start making beer and choose one of the the hardest career paths I think anyone could possibly choose when it comes to making money. What what finally uh, sparked that transition? Yeah, there's definitely definitely been a few days where I've sort of questioned <laughs> my life choices. <laughs> I guess the the catalyst was uh, my wife and I were looking for our first home here in Christchurch. Right. At the time, I was homebrewing quite a bit, and we were kind of thinking, you know, first home, let's try and find a house that at least has a single garage or a double garage, you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of with a vague idea of starting a little nano brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we stumbled on this house, which has a hundred square meter garage. So all of a sudden, that uh, that really opened up the doors to be able to do something. Right. Especially with these mixed firm styles where, you know, you need a lot of, lot of space for them. Sure. Um, but yeah, I kind of find, found I was just homebrewing quite often mm-hmm. and making a lot more beer than I could ever really drink myself or give away. So, so you go pro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. And and what are your, you know, at that at that volume, you know, 5,000 um, liters a year is, 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 as breweries go, it's a relatively small amount of beer. You know, what are your what are your ultimate goals for the brewery? Are you happy staying small? And is it really about sharing your your passion and your your art really um, with other people? Or is your goal to take the business bigger and and make it something, you know, even more financially viable? Yeah, it's a bit of both, really. Like at the moment, it's kind of a, a passion project, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a creative outlet, right? And also, kind of at the moment, just sort of trying to grow the barrel program, mm-hmm. you know, because lead time on that is just so long, right? Um, and then, yeah, hopefully over the next couple of years, we'll kind of figure out, you know, what our next step is if we go a little bit bigger or not. Gotcha. We don't really have a solid plan, but. Right, right, and and you you've mentioned we, and I I, I should um, give you know credit to your wife, who's part of part of the team as well, right? This this is Hannah Drake. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she does a lot of the artwork and and just helps out with a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I was going to ask, does she have a brewing background? Does she brew now, or is it is it more she supports uh, you know your interest in brewing by by helping those aspects of the business that you mentioned? Yeah, it's a bit more of the latter. Like at the moment, I'm doing. Um, all the brewing and um, yeah, Hannah helps with um, yeah, like I said, the labeling, packaging, all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Well, well, let's talk about that wilderness brewing. Where does that name come from? Yeah, I guess it's just uh, yeah. I spent quite a while trying to f- find a name. As you can imagine, it's pretty hard. <laughs> it is. Um, I guess it's just the tie-in with with wild ales and kind of wanting to showcase kind of our local agriculture with our beers mm-hmm. and sort of a nod to the New Zealand, you know, landscape and things like that. Right. Right. Cool. Um, well now you talk about barrel program and I don't know if you're using standard size barrels or not, but you also, uh, talked about your batch size, which is, you know, smaller than a standard size barrel. So let's, how large is your barrel program? How many barrels do you have? How do you go about filling those barrels? Are you using smaller barrels or oak chips or, you know, what, what are you doing there? Yeah, we mostly use um, XY and uh, Barriques, mm-hmm. which are just over 200 litres. Mm-hmm. I've got about 30 of those at the moment. Um, 
as to filling them, it depends on the type of beer. Like uh, some beers will have to do a double batch. Um, and we mostly use uh, 60 liter homebrew fermenters at the moment. Uh-huh. So we'll fill like four of those, for example, fermented out and then wrap it into a barrel. Gotcha. So sort of like a big double brew day just to fill one barrel. Right. Um, but we've also got uh, a bigger cool ship, which can do three to four barrels in one hit. Wow. Um, it just means we have to do about four mashes and one brew day. Gotcha. That tends to be a sort of 12, 14 hour brew day. Right. Well, I definitely want to circle back to the cool ship and talk about that in a bit. But um, let's uh, let's give people a sense of the beer you make. You, you've hinted at a few things and, you know, talked about what you specialize in. But let's talk about maybe, I mean, can we say with a brewery your size, can we say core line? I mean, are you are you brewing unique beers every time just about or are you uh, do you have a, a core range? Let's talk about the Yeah. The, the beers that we might find either your core range or the beers we might currently find on tap if we're down in Christchurch. Sure. Um, yeah, core range is a little tricky, not only our batch size, but also I guess the current climate tends to kind of lend itself to, you know, brewing new beers all the time. Right. Um, which as a, as a brewer, I'd quite enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the closest thing we've got to a core range tends to be sort of a play on a Saison style, I guess. Um, so we kind of have like a hoppy Saison that we do quite often. And we'll do quite a lot of plays on IPAs and parallels using, I guess, alternative yeasts. So that sort of stuff is probably what you'll find most often on tap down here. Um, and, and what are those those beers called, those ones we might expect to find? Yeah. So uh, the Hoppy Saison is called uh, Beau Nouveau, which basically means uh, sort of old new. So it's kind of a, a new twist on an old style. Gotcha. So like a heavily dry hop saison with sort of modern New World hops. And I'm sorry, you said there's Bonivar? Uh, Vaux-Niveau. Vaux-Niveau. Okay, yeah, well, I was saying, oh, they've, they've named a beer after the artist, but <laughs> gotcha. Um, Vaux-Niveau, got it. Um, okay, and and yeah, sorry, describe that that beer a little bit. So what kind of saison, what kind of hops? Um, yes, yeah, so it's pale beer um, with just a little bit of uh, a little bit of a malt accent. Um and we use two different yeast strains for that. And the, the beer is dry, but also fruity with a fairly low, low perceived bitterness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we tend to just do rotating hops through that. So it'll tend to be things like uh, Citra, you know, Sovin, Rewaka, uh, sort of big punchy hops. Sure. Um, now, if I were to drink the beer, would I taste something more akin to sort of a Belgian IPA almost with hops like that? Or is it really still a more of a Belgian saison with just some fruitier notes poking through? Yeah, it's probably not too far removed from a um, Belgian IPA. Mm. Um, sort of try to tone down the, the phenols a little bit. Um, so we basically use uh, one of the yeast we use is Sactois. Mm-hmm. It gives a lot of sort of tropical fruit. Nice. Yeah, Gary, our, our co-host, loves Sactois and uses it in quite a few things, so I'm really fam- familiar with that flavor profile, and it is. It's very yeah. fruity, very pineapple very nice. Yes, yeah, so that's sort of the idea, is bring in the tropical fruit esters and try to find some hops that complement that. That's your primary yeast in that beer? Uh, it's that in uh, French Saison, so oh, you mix it brings the dryness and some right. phenols and spice. Yeah, gotcha. Now, when you blend like that, do you blend them? Um, do you pitch both at the same time, or do you uh, do you sort of pitch one and then the Brett or this not Brett but Sactois and secondary? 
Um, now we push those both in primary um, and just play around with sort of quantity ratios, I guess, to try and push certain uh, flavors. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and so, uh, and this is this is the beer that we'd be most likely to encounter out there. Yeah, all sort of um, variations on that. So we'll do different kind of, um, uh, I guess, colors or, or different base styles based on those two yeast strains. So we've got another beer called uh, Rustic, which is more of a, I guess, modern pale ale style, but fermented out with those two yeast strains as well. Got it. Um, so yeah, it's been quite fun kind of playing with, I guess, sort of classic core range styles, but with different yeasts, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and and sorry, I did, I don't know. I took you down one path. Were there other other beers that uh, are in your core range there worth mentioning? Yeah, probably. Um, we do do some sort of quicker turnaround sours. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably the the one brand we've done the most often is a beer called uh, Dragon Pit. Dragon Pit. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is a apricot goza. Oh, nice. So I've done quite a few batches of that. Um, and that tends to just be lacto, um, a primary sack strain, and usually Brett C as well. Got it. And that usually takes about six months or so. Oh, to, wow. To turn around. Yeah. So, yeah, not that quick of a quick turnaround. <laughs> that's still that's still a significant amount of time compared to, you know, a kettle sour, obviously. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, well, that sounds pretty cool. And now let's talk about some of the more, you know, experimental stuff, the stuff like what if for starters, where can listeners find your beer other than, you know, well, I suppose even for those in Christchurch, if we want to try it, where can we find it? Yeah. Like if you're, if you're not in Christchurch, the best bet is to find bottles of our mixed firm stuff, which we try to send to at least the main cities in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So you can find it in a f- one or two places in Wellington and Auckland and Dunedin. Any particular retailers or online retailers? Um, there's quite a few online now. There's uh, here in Christchurch, uh, Beer Library and Punky Brewster um, and Vino Fino. I think they all have online uh, shops. And then Very you've cool. got um, Henry's and Port Cider in Dunedin, Regionals in Wellington and uh, Beer Jerk in Auckland. Oh, great. Cool. Um, I will have to jump onto beer jerk site and, uh, and get a few bottles. So, and if, but, but I bring them up not only to point out where people can get it, but to get a sense of, again, like, uh, what you're putting out into the marketplace right now. For example, if I go to beer jerk, what kind of beers am I likely to find for sale? Yeah. So, uh, about a month ago or so we released two, um, mixed firm beers. So, uh, one of them is called uh, Felicity. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a cool ship wild ale that we pitched a, a mixed culture into. Um, that was barrel aged in a XPNO barrel and then uh, finished off with a bit of rhubarb. Oh, wow. Nice. Sort of funky, sour, fruity, I guess. Sure. Nice bit of barrel character. And the other beer is called Brumbies, which we've done a couple of times, which is sort of a play on a Flemish red style. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a bit more brick forward and less sour. Got it. And, and that has blackberries and horopito in it as well. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, and, uh, well, yeah. And so what about, what about other sort of non-sour, non-saison non, or non-Belgian you know Belgian inspired beers? What you, uh, how often are you putting beers out like that? We just tend to do less of those. Mm. 
for a few reasons, but we tend to do, we've been dabbling a bit with hazy IPAs mm-hmm. and we do sort of the odd stout in winter, which tends to be sort of, I guess sort of pastry inspired stouts, but maybe not full pastry if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. <laughs> pa- less sweet pastry stouts? Yeah, a little bit. Maybe yeah. slightly drier finishing and yeah. yeah, maybe a bit more trad, but yeah. yeah, pastry stouts, I'm not a huge fan. I, I mean, I like a stout, and I, I don't mind 100 mils of a pastry stout, but it just gets too fatiguing, That's that sweetness. But I do find those those flavors um, enjoyable. So so I think the idea of removing some of that sweetness um, from a beer like that is, is probably a good thing. Yeah, that's kind of how I tend to try and approach it. You yeah. know, build flavors in with the impression of sweetness. But yeah. Some drink about beer, I guess. Yeah, that sounds good. And one of those beers uh, did pretty well at Beervana. Was it last year? Yeah, yeah. So last year we went to Beervana for the first time, had a stand there, and we decided to take uh, a beer of that sort of ilk, I guess. So it's basically a, a Russian imperial stout with some some extra notes. And it was a beer we called Maple Like Jagger. Mm, yeah. So it's a imperial stout with maple syrup and jaggery sugar. Nice. And that was, yeah, pretty, pretty popular. Fantastic. And we served that with a peanut butter foam on top as well. <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> uh, just with one of those um, sort of whipping siphons that you have in commercial kitchens, you know. I don't know. No, I don't know what this is, but I've seen, I've seen some breweries do this, particularly at Beervana, where they've got this sort of second foam beer that they're adding. I, I think Garage Project did it once a few years yeah. back ago, and I've never been clear on how it's done. Explain that if you would. Sure. Yeah. Um, so... Commercial kitchens, you can get a, um, it's like a, a one liter stainless canister with a, you basically have a little uh, uh, nitrous oxide cartridge that you put on top. So you can use it to make uh, whipped cream or basically uh, whip up any liquid substance, I guess. Right. And um, that's a great way to play around with different flavors. Yeah. Other than just putting it straight into the beer, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. How'd you get the peanut butter flavor into that? So I basically made up a liquid sort of peanut mixture using PB2. Uh-huh. So dehydrated peanut yeah, butter. Yeah, I know. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, basically served it through that whipping siphon and poured it on top of the beer. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting myself distracted because my nine-month-old daughter is in the next room and crying, and it's coming into the microphone. Well, it's coming. I can hear it. I don't know if the listeners can hear it, but I'm balancing the mute button while trying to still be entertaining. Um, but I think that sounds really, actually, quite delicious. Because I re- years ago I had a peanut butter stout, and it was the again we're talking like almost a decade ago when that you know that was a, what a peanut butter beer. Wow, that's crazy. Um, and thought it was just fantastic. Like I had never quite had anything like that and and i don't mind uh uh especially then i don't mind a sort of i don't i don't, again i don't like them too too sweet but i don't mind a sort of dessert themed kind of beer um and i thought it was amazing and i i've sort of long since wanted to recreate the experience either by brewing or just finding other commercial ones and i haven't been able to do it they all taste like commercial i mean sorry not commercial but peanut butter extract to me and i don't care for yeah. that flavor and i even went as far as to order on eBay or something, uh, a couple cans of that PB2 and then never, never got around to brewing it. And the stuff just sat there and got too old. But, um, but I've heard every, I, I spent a lot, I spent an unhealthy amount of time researching how to get a good peanut butter flavor into a beer, um, and, and have never actually done it. But I like that idea of concentrating it like that in the, in the foam and then, um, topping, topping a beer. That sounds pretty damn good. 
yeah, because as you know, there's all sorts of issues with getting certain ingredients into the beer. Mm. You know, little tend sweet things will tend to ferment out or yeah. somehow be transformed by the yeast or you know CO two scrub. So doing mm. mm. a pour like this gives you a bit more direct control, I guess. Yeah, and I imagine it allows you to still have a beer that's not overly sweet while creating quite a rich dessert-like sort of experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm, That sounds pretty cool. Well, let's see. So um, let's talk about your process. So, uh, and again, just to kind of, I guess, put a pin in it, um, in terms of the identity of the brewery, so you, you'd say you're effectively a, a wild brewery. That's really kind of where you're, or semi-wild brewery. I mean, the name is Wilderness. You're creating Belgian-style beers, a lot of mixed ferments and uh, retinomyces, bacteria, things like that. Is that is that accurate? Is that your identity? Yeah. Is that what you specialize in? That tends to be our main focus, yeah. Yeah, got it. So let's talk about the process and how, how you brew these beers. Um, there are obviously a, a wide, wide array of approaches that people can take to brewing these beers, everything from kettle sours to kettle sours with Brett on up to um, semi-faster turnaround beers, like you mentioned, uh, into the the long, you know, several years worth of aging kind of barrel age stuff. Uh, and, and there are a lot of different ways to get that yeast, whether it's from a, a commercial culture or from the air, you know, how do you approach these beers? Do you do a little of all of it? What's your, what's your take? Yeah, pretty much all of the above. Just mm-hmm. about. <laughs> um, so I guess we could start from the, maybe the quickest turnaround, maybe kettle souring. Mm-hmm. We do a little bit of that. Um, particularly if I want to use a, a lot of hops. Right. Um, so we have done sort of uh, hoppy sours that way because mm-hmm. uh, it means you can do a big whirlpool addition. Right. Like slowing down the lacto. Right, right. Um, and then probably the next step up from that is uh, sort of our gozers, um, like the dragon pit I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, those tend to be six-month turnaround, and those are co-pitched lacto and sac and primary. And then uh, Brett and secondary with the fruit. Gotcha. And why do you feel they? Because the, that's that's a good healthy amount of time. Um, why do you think they need six months uh, as opposed to say you know two two months? Um, where you know because I, there are certain prescriptions for that formula of of a kettle sour with Brett. Oh no, did you say it's not it's not a kettle sour? No, you're leaving the lacto to do its thing. Yeah. Are you? Okay. It, gotcha. You tend to do live lacto now. Gotcha. Gotcha. So is that is that part of the reason for the six month turnaround time or what do you find that it needs that that takes six months to to ultimately pull out of the beer sure yeah um probably the main thing is we mostly use whole fruit Mm -hmm. um so that i feel like that needs probably at least a couple of months tell me about that why what what changes over the that time i guess just trying to get a good extraction out of those fruit right Uh, right tends to be like how small we've chopped them up um so our process for the fruit is every season when the fruit's in season, we'll buy as much as we sort of can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll process the fruit, basically deep a lot of it and cut it into maybe quarters, mm-hmm. then freeze it so that we can use it during the year mm-hmm. um, whenever we have the capacity, really. Right. Um, so, yeah, I find you know, freezing helps to break down cell walls and that. But sure. Find you still need at least a couple of months to extract that fruit flavor, um, and then the other two aspects there is the 
I just want to build up a little brick complexity in those beers. Right. Like it's almost not noticeable, but if you really look for it, it's kind of there. Right. And I'm sorry, what strains of Brett did you say that you tend to use? Uh, for that, for those sort of beers, I use Brett C. Oh, Brett C, it's right. quite and not too crazy yeah that is quite subtle um as someone yeah. who, who uses like a lot of brucks and stuff like that or, or amalgamation like that brett blend from um shoot is it who is it from is it east bay uh east bay i, I don't even remember uh what's that yeah i think it's east yeah, bay yeah um i i i like a lot of brett character and gary uses a lot of brett c which i think is delicious but yeah it's very subtle like i think i think i'm a little bit jaded by brett and so when it's that subtle i find myself really struggling to find it and you're right it, it does take some time it starts to come out you know probably i mean maybe there's a little there immediately but it starts to really poke its head out many many months i think down the line yeah, yeah exactly um and for that beer it's it's sort of I'm kind of targeting something that's not too far removed from most people's fruited gozers you know mm-hmm. maybe it's a little more slightly more complex but yeah it's pretty clean really right right and what kind of fruit are you using in a lot of these sour beers? Um, yeah, we sort of we do a lot of berries, a lot of stone fruit from down in Otago, mm-hmm. apricot, peach, nectarine, that sort of stuff. Um, we're going to play around with plums a bit this year. Cool. Um, yeah, pretty much anything I can get my hands on. Yeah, and do you work? Do you work? Is well for starters, is it mostly local fruit? Um, and then second part of that question is: Are you are you working recipe first? Going, um, I want to make a beer, and this beer is going to need some raspberries, or do you kind of go, well, there's a cool raspberry crop at this local farm. Let's build a beer around that. Yeah, it tends to be more fruit first, I guess. So, mm. whatever I can manage to get within those couple of months, or whenever the season is, right. Uh, and that's sort of dictated by how much time I have during the summer to go and, you know, talk to people and sure. see what's available. Sure. Um, like this last summer, I'm totally missed out on my usual apricot um, crop, so mm-hmm. I won't be making any dragon pit this year. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but it's sort of the way it goes. Um, yeah, but, yeah, it tends to be we'll grab as much fruit as we can, freeze it, and then we can sort of think, okay, what? stock have we got that might work with this fruit or you know what could we brew to go with that sort of thing right right yeah. cool i like that so let's um let's talk about that cool ship because that that stuff's cool uh, <laughs> um pardon the pun um how'd you get into that how big is your cool ship walk us through the process sure um i guess i started doing spontaneous stuff as a home brewer just in much smaller quantities mm-hmm. um yeah well, t- actually, let's go back further and walk us through that. Like, what was your first, or well, it doesn't have to be your first, but talk about some of those early uh, spontaneous ferment experiments because I'm yet to be sort of successful with one. I've I've tried a few, you know, yeast capturing experiments, oh, quite a few actually, uh, over the years, and it's always been pretty scary. Um, and I didn't dare taste it or put it in my my beer. And I, I I've always done small samples though, you know, plopping fruit from the yard and these kinds of things, and I'm, I'm yet to be successful. So I'm sure you've heard those stories, probably had those experiences. Like what, how did you first find um, success with that approach or, 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 you know, were you successful right out of the gate? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So I've been doing, I think this, this season is sort of my sixth season or sixth year of doing spontaneous. Mm-hmm. If I can all the homebrew batches. Um, and yes, I started off doing 20 
30, 50 litre sort of batch sizes um, as, as a home brewer, basically taking my boil kettle and sticking it outside sort of thing and played around with a bunch of things like putting muslin cloth over it or not, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and that's always been unmalted wheat and Pilsner with aged hops, mm-hmm. usually aged whole cone most of the time. Um, and yeah, I've pretty much dumped every year's batch until last year <laughs> for one, uh-huh. just as a word of caution. So yeah, yeah. it's definitely not easy, like you're saying. Um, yeah, some of it was just, yeah, bad flavors. Um, some of it was just getting the bitterness right. Like mm-hmm. batches were just too bitter and that bitterness just never went away. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's why I guess I've been doing spontaneous on the side as much as I can, but um, I'm kind of taking a cautious approach with it commercially, you know. Well, I guess what I want to understand is so you go you go and you have an experience sort of like mine, it sounds like, where you have failure, 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 failure. You finally have a success and now you're doing it every year. So what's the secret to having successful spontaneous ferments almost every time? Yeah, I'm still trying to work it out. <laughs> well, I mean, so is it just literally been luck these last few years that you've been able to to pull it off? I feel like it's, I yeah, it's hard to say because there's so many variables. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I feel like it's been getting better every year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's because I'm also going bigger batch sizes every year. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've got the the hopping side of things a bit more under control. Right. Um, probably the main variable I think about is um, the cooling time. Uh-huh. So, you know, some people think that's really important. So I've kind of been focusing on that a little bit and trying to play around with batch sizes and, you know, what temperature um, the weather forecast is, is giving us for that particular day. Right. Yeah, do you use the sort of, I, I think of it as the Cantillon approach of waiting for, what is it, three nights of a frost in a row before before uh, doing a spontaneous ferment, or do you just, you know, wing it? Like, what's your approach there? You mentioned the weather, so how does that yeah. factor in? Yeah, so during winter, I'm always keeping an eye on the weather, and basically what I look for at the moment is on the brew day, I want to have an overnight low here in Christchurch of below zero, ideally, mm-hmm. um, and I'm looking for maybe the previous day being without any um, rain. Uh-huh. So kind of thinking about, you know, I want to have that yeast sort of not being uh, suppressed, I guess. I don't right. Know. Yeah, explain that the science of that to, to listeners who may not know what we're talking about. Yeah, so, uh, so with the cool ship, we're putting hot wort into a big shallow vessel and leaving it overnight to cool. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is as it cools, any yeast or bacteria that's flying around in the air will settle on that wort and inoculate it. And that's going to give us our fermentation. So if it's been raining right up until the the brew day, I feel like that rain will kind of um, stop the yeast from, you know, flying around in the air somehow. Right, right. That's kind of my thought process. Sure. A lot of this is uh, no one really knows how it works. Do you think after so many years of doing this stuff, you've actually got, um, you know, a sort of more ideal microbiological buildup there in that brewery of yours that might be influencing it as well? Yeah, potentially. Um, 
at the moment, I'm still running the cool ship outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and my thinking behind that is I kind of want to capture a really good, really pure 100% New Zealand culture. Yeah. Um, and then maybe inoculate the inside of my brewery with that once I'm happy with it. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, and when I basically, after the day after cool shipping, you pump into a barrel. What I tend to do is clean and steam the inside of that barrel. So it's not going to be 100% sterile, but we're trying to sort of knock down any uh, yeast and bacteria that might be in that barrel from right. previous uh, brews. So as much as possible, we're trying to showcase whatever it was flying around the air that day. But Right, right. So I'm sorry, you might have just said this and I missed the detail or maybe you didn't. But so again, walking us through the process, you've got this pretty big shallow pan. How big is it? Uh, it can hold a thousand liters. Oh wow! Okay. Um, but I'm sort of toying with the idea of maybe only doing three barrels worth, which would be about seven hundred liters or so. Okay, uh, so that's a lot of brew days. Yeah, yeah. So, or a lot of brews for you. Sorry. Um, you know, you, you mentioned hundred liter batch size. So, how's this working? So, you you put out this big container. You you dumping a hundred liters in, and then you back at it doing another brew. Do you just brew all night? Did you? How do you do it? Yeah, what I do is, um, luckily I've got a biggish mash tun. Uh-huh. It's a hundred, well, it's 160 liters, mm-hmm. um, which means I can do four mashes to basically get about 900 liters into the cool ship. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then what I do is I actually just boil in the cool ship and I bag up the hops. How do you do that? Just burners underneath it? Yeah, exactly. What kind of container? Where'd you get this? Or did you have it crafted? Like. What, what are you no, using? it's sort of a second-hand square stainless tank with an open top. So Interesting. Cool. Yes. And that really has a little um, RJT port on the side, so you can run off the side, so pretty wow. ideal. Nice. Um, okay, so and then and then, how long are you leaving it there to get inoculated? Is it covered? Uh, yes, yeah, so at the moment it's just uh, open to the night air outside. Uh-huh. And tends to, I tend to leave it there for about 12 hours. So pump it into barrels the next day. And what kind of other interesting stuff <laughs> makes its way into that beer? Oh, you mean in terms of uh, debris or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things fo- that you find floating around in there the next morning. Yeah, it's interesting. I was I was worried about that when I started doing this as a home brewer. Uh huh. And that's why I played around with you know muslin cloth versus versus not. Yeah. But I actually found you never end up with a leaf or anything. Interesting. Sitting on top the next day. I don't know why. Huh. Maybe it's just luck. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's interesting. Maybe it would be good. Who knows? Yeah, no, I probably would. Um, I guess I'd be more worried about flying creatures um, <laughs> finding their way in, into there. But hey, if it's working. Um, and, you know, regardless, uh, people would, you know, beer people would be sort of shocked to see that kind of stuff, you know, the idea of an insect or whatever in beer, but uh, they probably never hung around winemakers because there's all kinds of stuff, <laughs> as you probably know, in in that wine of ours, there's a lot of spiders and uh, caterpillars and beetles and, and I hear even snakes in Australia, in California, in that wine of ours. So, um, so it sounds like yours is pretty clean uh even if if there are uh even if there were a few moths <laughs> that made their way in there uh but okay so so you do that and you leave it exposed for i'm sorry just just the night yeah yeah about 12 hours or so and when you go out there are you already seeing signs of fermentation or, or no no it tends to take about a week or two. Oh wow okay so a little while 
And then you're how quickly, uh, and you're getting it into barrels, so it's fermenting in the barrels, not just aging. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, straight into the barrel, and it stays in there for however long. Got it. Got it. Um, and these are used wine barrels, so you do clean them out, but there would, in all reality, be some microbiological activity in there. There'd be some bread and probably yeast and things like that in the wood. No? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, got it. Okay. And, uh, and do you have the, do you do it different every time? Is it, uh, do you have just one or two bases? You know, what's your approach with the grist on these kind of beers? Yeah. Grist is always the same. So it's 40% uh, unmalted wheat, mm-hmm. 60% Pilsner. Got it. And then aged hops. Cool. And when you, so it sits in there, it ferments, you, uh, I, I presume you leave it in there sitting on the, on the, um, chub for quite a while. Yep, yeah, at least a year. Um, I'm yet to release any of this uh, commercially, so. Oh, okay, gotcha. So this year, three years. Got it, got it. Um, and with that much beer, will you be adding different fruit to each barrel? Do you add the fruit to the barrel? Do you get it out of there and into a, a new vessel? How do you handle that? Yeah, a bit of both. Um, sometimes I put the fruit in the barrel. Usually, if it's small things like. Um, raspberries or cherries and mm-hmm. um, a bit harder to get you know uh, stone fruit in there right sure it's, it's a real pain to clean out too yeah i can, I can imagine <laughs> um i can't actually that would be just awful trying to get get chunky old apricots out of a barrel yeah yep. uh, so i also use uh again sort of uh, plastic um fermenters mm-hmm. for fruiting, right. you know just a few months just to get that uh, fruit extraction right Right. Well, sounds sounds amazing. Um, these this, these uh, are are you know the kind of beers that I respond to and love. So um, definitely let me know when that uh, those cool ship beers are available because uh, that sounds pretty cool. Um, any name that we should be on the lookout for those whenever they do hit the market? No, I've got no no plans about when to release them. And um, like I said, I've had mixed results with them mm. um, so we'll see how it goes yeah okay so it's still very much an experiment yeah yeah got it and so that's why i've sort of been doing other styles alongside so i didn't have all my eggs in one basket you know right right yeah fair enough um okay so i think we have a good picture of the brewery and right now you know even in terms of growth and your plans you're just sort of going forward and in a year or two you'll sort of decide about what you want to do for that potential next step um and we have a good sense of the different you know kinds of beers that that you make now as you know you know one of the things that we like to do on this show is try to convince uh brewers to share a recipe with us because uh the many home brewers that maybe either uh, want to try to try their skills and see if they can clone a beer that they can buy commercially or fans of a brewery who might want to take a crack at, at buying a beer that's no longer available you know that comes up as well um and i you know i obviously know from our conversations that you are willing to share a recipe with us is that is that still the case yeah absolutely Fantastic. Well, tell us about the beer that we're going to get the recipe to today. Yeah, so I had a long think about what recipes to share. Because mm. um, a, uh, a lot of my beers tend to be very simple on the recipe side. Mm-hmm. As we've sort of talked about, it tends to be you know, Pilsner and wheat. Right. <laughs> so not super interesting on the recipe side. It tends to be more about the, the fermentation. Um, but what I thought I would share is our Yavana beer from last year. 
This is the the one that ha- you put the peanut butter cream on. Correct. Yeah. But but we'll be getting purely the base beer. Is that right? Or will you be giving us a peanut butter cream recipe as well? Well, the story behind that is I did two batches of this beer. Mm-hmm. So the first batch for Beervana, uh, I only served the PB2 as the the foam on top. Uh huh. Um, but because it was well received, I thought I'd do a second batch after Beervana. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. That you can and get out was, into the market. Yeah, now it's a keg only batch, which had the PB2 and the beer itself. Oh, cool! So we're gonna get a recipe that tells us how to deal with that stuff. I'm excited to, to yeah. hear this. So, what was the beer called again? I am sure you told us. Yeah, it's called Maple Like Jagger. Ah, yes, Maple Like Jagger. Got it. Was this at any other festivals? I feel like I've I've been somewhere where this was on tap, and unfortunately didn't have a chance to try it. But it's it's really maybe I just read about it at Birvana, but you didn't, weren't at the Wellington Winter Ale Festival or anything like that, were you? No, I don't think it was at that festival. I, I poured it at uh, Great Kiwi as well. Okay, no, no, I just it sounds it has a familiar ring to it, but I'm perhaps I just read about it. Um, well, okay, so Maple Lake Jagger, it's a uh, style wise, the base style is a Russian Imperial Stout. You said, yep. All right, so how are you going to give this to us? What what batch size uh, percentages and IBUs? How are we going to get it? Yeah, I'll just give you the the exact quantities that I used for batch two. Uh huh. And the batch size was 240 liters into okay. the fermenter. Great. What I'll do, I, I convert all the recipes down into uh, 23 liter batch sizes and uh, I share them with all the, the patrons, the people that support the, the patron page, which is at Patreon. Uh, sorry, patron, Patreon. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my mind here today. But Patreon, uh, you can become a patron by backing us at patreon.com forward slash New Zealand Brewer and I'll convert it into a 23 liter printable. Uh, recipe for for the listeners if anyone wants to get that they can do that there for kicking in a couple of bucks and helping to support the podcast um so but of course you don't need to do that um you can make the conversions yourself um oliver's going to give it to us now so uh so when you say 240 liters this is the amount of beer coming out of the boil kettle or yeah, that's into what it. I had in yeah. the fermenter before I pushed the yeast. Got it. Okay. Uh, okay. So it doesn't take into consideration the loss, um, uh, you know, due to Trube in the in the kettle or anything like that. Yeah, that's right. But I'll give you the final packaging volume as well. Great. Some idea. Okay. So shoot, two hundred forty liter batch. Yep. Uh, so OG is one point one one zero. One point one one zero. Wow. Okay. And final gravity is 1.038. Okay. Also, some so considerable amount of sweetness left in the beer. Yep. Got it. And IBUs? Uh, 50. 50. Yeah, 50 IBUs. Um, what other? Oh, alcohol, ABV. Uh, 9.8. 9.8. All right. And uh, before we get to the fun stuff, anything special we need to know about with the water? Uh, so I just use Christchurch tap water, um, which tends to be pretty soft. Got it. All right. Um, and I added three salts to that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you add? Uh, so as for the mash, I added 50 grams of baking soda, mm-hmm. 50 grams of calcium chloride, uh-huh. 25 grams of uh, gypsum calcium sulfate. Got it. Got it. Okay, um, and let's see. So, yeah, just trying to calculate for your your potential losses there. Um, 
uh, in terms of, yeah, because homebrewers, you know, losses are sometimes different. Oh, I'll, I'll sort that out and, and give it to Patreon folks in the, in the final, final respect. I was just wondering how much sort of starting water, you know, but, but again, you're going to be sparging. So it's all, it's all a little bit different. Um, anyway, what's that? I just fly sparge. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, okay, great. So 240 liter batch, there's the salts. And now let's talk about the grist. Sure. Uh, so we've got 50 kg of ale malt. Mm-hmm. This is all Gladfields. All Gladfields. Oh, this is their standard ale malt? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 25 kg of Vienna. Uh-huh. 10 kg of flaked oats. 10 kg of flaked oats. Got it. And we've got 3 kg of light chocolate. Mm-hmm. 3 kg of roast barley. Uh-huh. 4 kg of, I think they call it Eclipse wheat now. Okay. They're roasted wheat malt. Oh, okay, yeah. 2 kg of brown malt. Uh, 2 kg of brown malt, uh-huh. 3 kg of light crystal. Uh-huh. And 3 kg of medium crystal. Got it. Okay, and that, that roasted wheat... Um, uh, I've not used Gladfield's one, but I've used chocolate wheat a lot. Is it the same thing, or is it a little bit lighter than chocolate wheat? Uh, I'd say it'd be in that sort of ballpark. Yeah. yeah, it's a dark, dark roasted wheat malt. Right, so it has about the roast level of a light chocolate. Yeah, about that, yeah. Got it. Okay. And did I cut you off? Was there anything more in terms of grist? No, that's it for the grist. All right. And uh, mash temp and, and mash time. A uh, single infusion at 67 degrees mm-hmm. Celsius for 60 minutes. Okay. Um, all right. And then what's our boil time? Um, 60 minutes. All right. And uh, hopping. Hops, we've got 600 grams of Pacific Gem. And I noted that was about 13% alpha mm-hmm. uh, for 60 minutes. And that's so get, it? And that's it for the hops. All right. So now, for um, 50 IBUs there. Got it, got it. Now, I know there's going to be a whole lot of fun stuff, or I think there is, to this beer in terms of additional ingredients. So I, yeah. I think I've covered, If I don't have my sheet in front of me, but I think I've covered all the, the basics to the, the beer. Now you, you take it away and tell us what else we got to do here. Yeah, I was going to say there's one more ingredient. Ah. You could arguably say as part of the base beer, which is lactose. Ah, yeah, okay. So until now, it's just a straight imperial stout. Uh, so what I did was I added 8 kg of lactose basically towards the end of the boil. Got it. So, yeah, so somewhere around uh, just under like 750 grams for the average kind of – I'll calculate that exactly later, but um, yeah. it'd be around that. So that's a, that's a healthy dose of lactose. Yep. And that's what's brought up the OG and FG as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And when are you adding the lactose? Uh, I just sort of pulled some of the – wort out of the boil towards the end, mm-hmm. mix that with the lactose and added it back to the boil kettle. And you do that just so it doesn't scorch at the bottom? Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah, got it. All right. Um, okay, so yeah, now now I'll get out of your way and you can tell us what else we need to do this. <laughs> yeah, so now it gets, uh, gets interesting. Um, so the PB2, I kind of thought about that for a while. I decided to add it at the end of the boil at the same time as the lactose, mm-hmm. more to kind of sanitize it and mix it in with the wort, I guess. Right. And, and again, you, you touched on it earlier, but just for anyone who doesn't know what PB2 is, explain it and tell them where they can get it in New Zealand. Yeah. So 
it's basically dehydrated peanut butter. Mm. And the reason we use that is because it doesn't have as much oil as, as actual peanut butter would. Yeah. Yeah. It's made for what, like uh, camping and things like this, isn't it? You just add water and spread it on your sandwich is the idea. Yeah. It's kind of idea. Right. You, when you rehydrate it, when you add it back to water, you just get kind of a, a peanut butter slurry sort of thing. Right. Right. Um, yeah, so I used 1.8 kg of PB2, mm-hmm. which I ordered off Amazon, I think. Right, uh, 1.8 kg. So that's not that's not actually sort of as much as I was even expecting for a, a decent sized batch. Um, do you find that yeah. that's that, that does that give it a lot of peanut butter flavor? No, that was pretty subtle. Yeah, uh, definitely the maple was the stronger of the two flavors. But gotcha. Okay, so so sorry. At the end of the boil, um, you just chuck it in a lot, couple of minutes to go. Yeah, I use the same process of pulling some wort and mm-hmm. mixing it in with the peanut butter and then stirring right. that into the boil. Right. I've read, like I said, a, a, a disturbing amount about adding peanut butter to beer. And there's definitely, I read quite a few times people just adding it in the secondary and just getting infections. Um, in fact, I think most of what I read was people describing infections after doing that. So it does sound like that that's a, a good idea. However, people also did argue that you're losing some of the 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 peanut butter you know you're going to get a lot more peanut butter if you get it into your your fermenter supposedly so are you are you well i guess are you racking it over or are you leaving that sludge behind yes yeah the tricky thing with pb2 is it tends to want to drop to the bottom of yeah. things pretty quickly yeah uh, so i think what i did normally i would do a whirlpool and and let that settle for a bit mm-hmm. order to minimize trub carryover but i think for this batch i kind of tried to encourage some of that pb2 to make its way to the fermenter. Got it. And then word of warning, you end up with basically peanut butter at the bottom of your fermenter at the end. But Yeah, I've heard you're going to lose quite a lot of, of, of your beer um, <laughs> to that peanut butter at the bottom. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So expect to get a smaller a smaller amount, I suppose. Oh, yeah. How does that factor into this 240 liter size? Was it 240 liter after the, P, the PB2 or uh, before? Yeah, so that batch size I've got here is 240 liters into the fermenter. So got it. So they want to use a bit more in the mash, sort of thing. Right, right. Yeah. Well, how much? How much? How many liters would you say? You know, uh, I don't know if you know, but if if you don't, then just guesstimate uh, how many liters you lost in the in the bottom of the kettle. Yeah, it's like it's not a tiny hop addition either. So yeah, um, I'm probably leaving behind maybe 40 liters in the kettle. Gotcha. Yeah, because I do my calculations where I if I, I calculate everything as a 23 liter batch trying to just get 19 liters into the keg, knowing I'm going to leave a couple behind in the kettle and a couple behind in the fermenter and I'm going to finish up with 19 liters. And as a home brewer, if, you know, I leave a little more than that behind. It's, you know, it's pennies to me. So, so, yeah. um, so that's how I kind of calculate things. So do you think it would be safe to start off calculating this is around a following that formula, like a 280 liter batch. Yeah. Yeah. 280 liters, I guess, post boil. Yeah. It's probably not a bad. Right. Got it. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I'll play with that and see if the numbers line up and, uh, you know, then adjust accordingly. Um, all right. So, so, and yeah, anyone listening who doesn't, isn't a, a Patreon supporter can, you know, do the same thing. Go take those measurements, plug it into your software, start with 280 liters. And if the gravities and ABVs are way off, then, you know, come down in your batch size until they, they sort of line up. Yeah. Um, all right. So, okay. We've got the, we got the 
the PB2, you buy it, you bought it overseas on Amazon. As last I looked, you could get it on eBay as well. Uh, Amazon shipping is a nightmare right now because of COVID. Um, but, uh, I, you know, you can still get certain things that don't know about food, but, uh, but eBay might still be an option, uh, or we might just have to wait a few months. Um, but it is, it does seem to be the, the most favored product for getting good, good peanut flavor. Some other techniques out there that are interesting. I've tried to use extracts and I think they're terrible. I've drunken beers that have them and I think they're terrible. So I, I love that you're using real peanuts. Most people are <laughs> afraid, afraid to do it. Um, but okay. So, and then, and then what else? Yeah, so that's it for the boil. Mm-hmm. So you're knocking that off, and you can definitely add some yeast nutrient and um, kettle findings and stuff like that. Yeah, whatever your usual process is. Yeah, bearing in mind this is a big beer, so yeah, you want yeast nutrient in there. Yeah, good idea. And um, so then, in primary, and what have we got? So I've got I used a 500 gram pack of USO5. Uh huh. So that's about 2.5 grams per liter-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's probably five packs for a homebrew batch, I guess. Right. Um, and I rehydrate that and add plenty of oxygen on the way into the fermenter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at High Croizen I added the jaggery sugar, which we haven't talked about yet. Right. Uh, so that jaggery sugar it comes in sort of little bricks. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know what you find in the grocery store, right? It's palm sugar, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what, where it comes from originally. Um, but, yeah, you find it in a lot of um, yeah, spice shops. You probably find it in the supermarket, yeah. I might actually be getting confused. I can't remember now if it's palm sugar or just a less processed sugar. But, yeah, it has a really yeah. a really nice taste. I'm not quite sure how to – it's almost like a – Almost. This is a silly descriptor, but it's almost like a burnt sugar without the burnt part. If that makes any sense, you get. Yeah. Um, I remember. I think Soren from Eight Wired using it a few years back in one of his stouts, and it really stood out to me as quite a nice flavor. Yeah, yeah. I think they use it a lot in Indian cooking. Maybe, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Where that with that sort of uh, that sort of ingredients, you'd be, you'd be right. Right. Um, and what I did with that is I I made a slurry with some boiling water. And how much, sorry, how much jaggery? Uh, six kg of jaggery. Where can people find this? Is it the grocery store? Where, where did you have to go? I went to a, like a spice shop, you know, we'd find lots of, um, lots of spices and stuff. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, six kg of that, which I mixed with boiling water just to sort of, um, soften it up a little bit uh-huh. and get it into a sort of liquid solution. And then I assume cooled it down before pitching. Yeah, um, sort of stirred it around. It takes quite a while for that sugar to actually dissolve. Mm-hmm. So by the time it was dissolved, it was probably about fifty degrees or something. Gotcha. And I, it's a pretty small amount compared to the volume of the ferment. So right, right. Unless you use a lot of water. But. And I'm sorry, how many kgs of that did you say? Uh, six. Six. That's still that's a that's a good whack of sugar. <laughs> that's a, yeah. Um, that's not nothing. Um, and then and sorry, we we didn't talk about actually the well. We'll circle back to the fermentation temp after this stuff because we didn't actually talk about that yet. But we'll come back to fermentation. So um, this is at high croissant. You're adding that in. Yeah. But again, you could you could add that at the end of the boil, which would save your step as well. Right. Right. You don't think you don't think some aromatics are preserved or anything that are that are crucial. 
yeah, my thinking was just to um, take the stress off the yeast a little bit. But yeah, that makes makes sense to me actually. Um, I don't know something to be said for keeping things simple with a Oh, it's pretty easy to screw up a big beer and get some solventy flavors in there. Um, I like that idea of, of taking the stress off the yeast. Yep. Uh, yes, yeah, so a six kg of jaggery. And then I also added uh, some American oak cubes, mm-hmm. um, which you can find at your homebrew shop. Sure. And the story behind that is the first batch was too small to fit to my bourbon barrel. Right. The first batch was only 100 litres, so I did that one with oak cubes. Right. And then when I did the second batch, I felt like I needed to do the same thing again. Right, sure. And was was uh, bourbon, or American oak rather, um, a conscious choice, or was it just kind of what was available? Um, no, I definitely wanted American oak in there. Yeah. Um, kind of felt like it would work well with everything else that's going in here. Sure, sure. And how, how much, uh, for starters, even oak, oak cubes and chips you know they all kind of come in different sizes and which really affects the amount of oak that you're you're imparting in the beer so tell folks uh the weight if you could and what you know how large these oak chips were or cubes were and you know which ones to to use yep uh so these were um oak cubes that you usually find in sort of the distilling section of your homebrew shop yeah yeah and so when you crack the bag open it's got a pretty strong bourbon Mm -hmm. smell Mm mm-hmm um, I used 800 grams. 800 grams. Okay. And are these? Do these have some bourbon infused in them, or no? They're just they're just the type you'd use to make bourbon. I guess they're just um, a bourbon barrel is chopped up, most right. likely. Right. Okay. So there is actually some bourbon flavor and aroma in there. Yeah, I assume it's sort of what they do. Sure. Um, and they were pretty big cubes. They were like one and a half, two centimeters. Right. I mentioned, if you know what I mean. Yeah, sure, sure. So 800 grams chucked into the fermenter after it was done fermenting um, for how long? Yeah, you could chuck it in any time post-poison, I guess. Right, that makes sense. It's kind of a good time to add stuff like that. Sure. And primary was three weeks. Got it. And pitched around 17, 18 degrees Celsius. Mm Mm-hmm. And let it ramp up to 22. Okay. And then uh, basically crash it out after a week and a half, two weeks, once you're happy that it's finished fermenting. Yep. And that crash cooling is probably reasonably important with all that PB2 in there. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I imagine, I imagine. Um, Sorry, did I hear two different things? Did you say a week and a half and, and three weeks at one point? What were the sorry? Yeah, uh, total time in the fermenter was three weeks, including the crash cooling phase. Got it, got it. So it was about a week and a half till it was fermented out, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and now it's called Maple My Jaggers. Are maple in the, in this? Correct. Yeah. So what I did is like rather than force carving the kegs, it's like keg conditioned with maple syrup. Oh wow! So right. yeah, that sure. sounds pretty pretty cool i've always wanted to sort of try that uh, condition with something other than sugar to, for yeah. for added flavor so how well yeah how do we do this um as home brewers yes i actually found uh some of the calculators do give you the amounts in maple syrup oh okay okay well what did you do you have your amounts there for for a 50 liter keg yes i ended up with 200 liters in the keg oh, okay and i conditioned with 1.6 kg of maple syrup 
1.6. No, sorry. When you say 200 liters in the in the keg, you got a 200 liter keg. Like, what do you mean? Your four 450 liter kegs, or you? Uh, how are you doing this? Would have been uh, 10 20s, I guess. Ah, uh, 10 20s, and and 1.6 just divided by 20. Or did you mix it all first and then go into the kegs? Yeah, I usually um, prime the the fermenter and just give it a gentle mix. Ah, I see. Got it. And let it settle out a little bit, and then, then rack into the keg. Cool. Got it. So if somebody wanted to just do the math on that for bottling or, or something, they would just take 1.6 divided by uh, their, you know, the number of liters in their vessel if they're using smaller kegs or even uh, milliliters if using bottles, correct? Yeah. Okay. So what does that impart? Well, yeah. So that's starting to layer in the maple flavor. Mm-hmm. So it does come, that, does come through? Yeah, a little bit. Um so what I did on the first batch is keg condition it with maple syrup, mm-hmm. let that ferment out, carb up, and mm-hmm. then I tasted the beer. And I kind of had a feeling that it, that wouldn't be enough to really, really hammer home that maple flavor, you know? Yeah. Because as you know, the, a lot of that um, maple syrup will ferment out because it's fermentable and you'll be left with, you know, some of those residual flavors. Right. Uh, so what I did then is... Um, I basically dosed the beer with increasing amounts of uh, maple extract mm-hmm. just to get those sort of final top notes of maple. Got it. Okay. Um, so in the first batch, I did that to taste, and then in the second batch, I just scaled it up. Right, right. Do you have any numbers for us, or, or did you just kind of keep on adding a little bit, little bit, little bit until you liked it? I mean, what I'd recommend people do is sort of maybe start dosing your fermenter in small amounts and mm-hmm. take uh, a flavor that you like before yeah. you package sort of thing. Right, right. Um, but I've got here 50 mils of the Loran maple extract. Okay. Is that, and where do they get that? Just at a grocery store? Or? Yeah, I think it's more, it's uh, probably more like online baking shops. Right, right. They okay. like a specialty, maybe some grocery stores will have it or a specialty baking shop sort of thing. Cool. So again, you don't want to go too heavy on that extract because it's pretty potent, so... Yeah, yeah, Tiny, sure. Just give those top notes in. Yeah, yeah, and you wouldn't want to. Uh, you wouldn't want to risk giving an extract-ish quality to such a, yeah, know, right. such a such a complex and and legit beer like this. Yeah, it's all about layering, you know. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's just pretty complicated. Yeah, totally. It's about layering different malt flavors. And- totally. I suspect that as, as a home brewer, if I was going to try this, I'd go and I'd I'd take you know just a simple whatever I was bottling in three thirties or five hundreds and, and just, or uh, well, first I'd, I'd go in to take a hundred mils of the stuff and, and, you know, play with it. And then I'd bottle up a, a proper bottle and see if that mix, you know, I just literally use an eyedropper probably and, and put it in, into those bottles. And, and I'd probably go less than whatever tasted right as well. In my experience, anytime I'm tasting in that, you know, your, your senses get pretty, burnt pretty fast as you're tasting especially something like an imperial stout and and you keep adding drops of the stuff until you what tastes right usually the next time you crack it especially after the flavors have melded and your palate's refreshed a bit it's gonna really pop out a lot more than it did so if you're gonna do that little 100 mil experiment get get your your flavors where you want them let's say it took three drops well then you know go actually go go what did I say? Three drops go one and a half or two, you know, um, because 
well, I don't know how you do one and a half, but <laughs> if it was, if it was Mills, then if it was, let's make the math easier here. If four tasted right, go with two and you'll probably be happy the next time you taste it. Yeah, that's very good advice. Um, all right. Well, anything else to this beer? No, I think that's everything I've got written down here. So that sounds that sounds pretty amazing. And uh, and as you mentioned, it was really well received at uh, Birvana. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, very popular, and I think we sold all of it within the first three sessions or something. Cool. Will you be making more of this beer um, again as Wilderness? Uh, no plans to at the moment. Um, I'm kind of thinking of taking that same base recipe and maybe playing around with other yeah. secondary ingredients. You know. Sure. Sure. Well, very cool. Um, thanks so much for, for taking time out of your day to uh, share your story. Um, anything else you kind of want to tell us about wilderness, things you got coming down the pipeline, things we should be aware of, um, you know, how we can learn more? Um, no, just keep an eye out for, we've got a few more barrel age releases coming out soon and, and hopefully we'll be cranking the keg beers again, sort of coming into spring and summer here, here in Christchurch. So. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I hope to make it down there before too long and, and check you guys out. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if nothing else, we'll bump into each other at some some beer event in the not too distant future. Yeah, sounds great. Cool. Thanks so much. What do you think about that there, Gary? <laughs> oh, John, mate. Oh, you know? Yeah. All that time, I actually take it all back, mate. But, you know, you, uh, you're really good at what you do. I mean, I know I've said it before, but you know, just, you know, just getting the stories out there. It's really, really heartwarming, John. I think thank you, Gary. Job. No, thank I'm you. glad you're back, mate. Thank, thank you. Back. Well, thank you. And you great to hear from one of us, you know, um, Cool to see small scale breweries, you know, after my own heart. Yeah. Um, you know, pushing the pushing the boat out there for the funk. So Indeed. Yeah, right. Love In, it. Indeed. So Oliver was generous enough to uh, send us a, a whole, a, a pretty, a pretty nice big box of beer, um, and I, I gave a bunch of them to you. Held on to a few for myself, and you, you got yours uh, with you right now, don't you? Uh, yeah, right in front. Yeah, right in front of me, mate. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that the, that's great because it would it doesn't be, say wilderness on the bottle because <laughs> it would it would be totally awkward if you somehow misplaced those bottles and have no yeah. idea where they are and don't have. The 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 beer that Oliver was generous enough to send us so that we could drink it on the show and talk about it and that would that'd be weird but but you do you do have the beer yeah okay okay I'm just making sure so we'll open the we'll open the funky red uh, Brumbies Brumbies what did he say it was called uh, it's a funky red um, it's originally brewed in 2017. This beer had a false start when we bottled it in 2018, and the bottle's overcarbonated. Oh my God! Potentially, we emptied, uh, or patiently, we emptied all the bottles and refermented the beer on blackberries. So um, that is, uh, and it's a mixed ferment with PDO, lacto, and brett, and they added a small dose of horopito to complement the earthy funk from the Britannomyces. This is bottled in November of 2019, and it is best before November 2024. Um, and it is 7.5%. So <clears throat> you open yours. Um, get You get started. Yeah, and, um, I'm just pouring mine now, mate. Yeah. I, I will uh, open mine. Oh, yeah, smell, smell that. 
Oh, yeah. Actually, this smells really good. So, uh, as you probably guess, Gary has lost his, his beers. Um, well, technically, he probably never found them. I think I, I dropped them for him, and he just never never got them. Um, so, I'm, gonna, I'm here to do the job for both of us. Um, so I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a, a really, really quite clear, really pretty sort of amber colored beer with a nice, um, uh, fairly, fairly, you know, just a, a beige, a tight beige head, just tons of fruit, you know, in the aroma, you get a little bit of funk, but it's just tons of that blackberry, um, it is smelling really, really fruity, really good. Um, there is some, there's some barnyard coming through. It's not, it's not overdone. Um, I mean, you know, it's not overly funky, um, at least in the nose. I'm going to give this a, a taste. Yeah, this is really nice. Um, Definitely getting it's you know it's it's got a in the when it comes to flavor there's a fair fair bit of bread it's not again it's not overdone but I wouldn't call it you know faint on the bread um, it's definitely funky um, but I think in a nice tasty way um, it's got a nice um, oh, and, and again the fruit comes through it really came through on the nose it's it's prominent in the flavor not quite as prominent as I was expecting, um, uh, given the aroma, but, but certainly there, um, not a ton coming through in the malt. Maybe, I, maybe I get a little bit of, of some sort of bready malt character somewhere way under there. Um, but, uh, and it's got, it's actually, you know, it's tart. It's not overly sour, but there's definitely, it's definitely tart. Um, uh, I would not call this, you know, your classic sour where, where you're, you're grimacing from the acidity. It's, it's, it's just tart. Um, no, I think this is a really nice beer. This is a, this is a really nice aged sour, um, with a lot of character, perhaps a little more funky than, than folks who like their, their, you know, kettle sour beers are going to be comfortable with. Um, it's definitely not a beer for the uninitiated, but if you like your funky barrel sour, uh, barrel sour, barrel aged beers, um, I think this is a really nice one. And I like that it's not overly sour. I like that it's just a little bit of tart coming through. Um, this is really enjoyable beer. Good stuff, guys. Um, and thanks, Oliver, for sending it up. Um, really digging it. And and Gary, what do you what do you think? Oh no, that's right. You don't you don't have your your beer. Oh, um, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit disappointed now, Joe. Yeah, I was um, hoping it was going to be polished shit. And, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't been... and he, well, he, I, I, I have a couple more. If you can't find the damn beer, I'll give you another one. But um, but it's a really interesting brewery. You know, I mean, it reminds me of something you might see out of uh, out of a craft work you know that kind of a kind of a beer it's um definitely got a lot of character um and i re i really like it and he sent up a bunch of beers and i've had a few of them that that i i really enjoyed so um i think they're doing some interesting stuff and definitely one to watch um so what are you gonna drink there gary in absence of this delicious funky red from uh, I'm, gonna drink I'm gonna drink another i'm gonna drink another Beer drink beer. Oh yeah. This one is 
The fifth, oh, this is from, where are you? Ground up brewing, brewing in Wanaka. It is there. The fifth voyage coconut porter, John. Coconut porter. 6%. Yeah, it sounds delicious, doesn't it? It's like right up your alley, John. Mmm. You like a bit of coconut and a bit of porter, don't you? Yeah, I like it. If it's done right, I actually do. I can't stand it when it's um, extract, to be honest. I think you've brewed one before. I have. I like like the... uh, Not a big fan of the extract porters, but I really like uh, when real uh, coconut is added. I don't know whether it's real coconut or not, John, but it smells quite nice. Does it smell like suntan lotion? It's brewed once a year for the annual annual Aratown Autumn Festival. This ridiculously smooth, chocolatey, coconutty liquid has always gone too quickly. Get it whilst you can. Mm. Well, I've had some pretty good coconut porters and uh, sounds pretty tasty. Well, um, how about that uh, that their recipe that Oliver shared on the show? That was pretty nice of him, was it not? Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Yeah, and if you, to have a crack at. indeed, indeed. And speaking of which, if you uh, if you are a home brewer who would like to take a crack at brewing this recipe or any of the uh, recipes that we share on this show, then head on down to our favorite homebrew supply store, which is brewshop.co.nz, and use coupon code NZBrewer. Once again, that's coupon code NZBrewer to get ten percent off on all ingredients store wide. Now, while you're there, be sure to take a look at their fresh high-gravity wort from Long White Cloud Brewing. Now, high-gravity wort is an award-winning wort which has produced medals at the likes of the International Beer Cup, World Beer Awards, and the Brewers Guild Awards, to name just a few. But now, it's available to home brewers. Now, high-gravity wort is ready to use right out of the box and straight to your fermenter. They use only the finest fresh ingredients, and they only use malt, hops, and water. In other words, there's no sugar used in their process like so many of the uh, the extract kits out there. Now they have five premium wort bases to choose from. Each wort base comes in a 1.3 kg jerry can and you need four to produce around 23 liters of beer. And you can mix your own recipes or choose one of their proven recipes. The fresh high gravity wort from Long White Cloud Brewing is a great way for new brewers who who maybe don't have all the gear for all grain brewing or who just wanna get it right the first time or for the experienced brewer who's maybe short on time and just wants to crank out some high quality homebrew fast. And once again, when you pick up some fresh high gravity wort from brewshop.co.nz, you'll save 10% when you use coupon code NZBREWER. And that's good for all ingredients store wide. And look, we don't just recommend Brewshop because they sponsor the show. We really don't. We shopped at Brewshop before they sponsored the podcast and we will continue to do so regardless of their relationship with this show. Why? Because they're simply the best place to get homebrew ingredients and supplies in New Zealand in our humble opinions. Uh, They store ingredients right, they ship things fast, and you can count on them to always stay on the cutting edge in terms of the equipment that they carry. Uh, Really can't give them a higher recommendation. So again, just want to thank Oliver for sharing that recipe. If you would like to get your hands on the printed, uh, printable version of that recipe, we convert everything into 23-liter batches um, and make it available to everyone who supports us through the Patreon page. And you can find out more about that by heading on over to uh, patreon.com forward slash New Zealand Brewer. Uh, for a couple of bucks, you get all these recipes, you get access to some um, exclusive content, and, and you help to make this podcast possible 
cool. We, we genuinely appreciate it. So um, do check that out. And if you'd consider supporting the show, we'd really appreciate it. Um, all right. So, Gary, we're going to we're, we're going to try to tighten up our format. You know, you and me can uh, we we got the gift of the gab, you know, we can, we can start talking and just talk and talk and talk for, for hours. And, you know, it's not unheard of for us to have a two and a half or three hour show, but we're going to tighten things up a little bit. Um, we're just going to take one, two questions a show, uh, at least for a little while. Um, so that we can hopefully, I don't know, save some, some juice and, uh, crank out more shows more regularly for the listeners. Um, that sound, that sound good to you. I, you know, I'm always excited about that sort of thing, John. <clears throat> you like the questions, don't you? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. No, I do, actually. <laughs> you love um, so the, the questions. Just going back to this ground up, yeah, it's, uh, they do have the ingredients on here. It's organic coconut chips. And there you go. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how you make a coconut porter. Mm-hmm. It's um, very taken up. It's, I think that it's a very toasty coconut. I'm getting through here. It almost takes on a hazelnut character, John. A hazelnut character. Yeah, it's very, very nutty. Yeah, very I, token, I, I, I do know what you're talking about. When you toast the, did they say toasted? When you toast the coconut, it doesn't say take, toasted, but it's taken on that character in this beer. Gotcha. Um, I, I, when I, I've done it a, like a couple of times. If you said hazelnut, I'd believe him. I've done it a couple of times, and I toast it, and it comes off oh, as yeah. like a oatmeal, like cookie kind of sort of yeah. flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank it's, you. It's it, are you talking delicious. about? Or am I? Uh, um, well, I mean, I guess I, I guess we both are really mm. at this, no, at this stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that Christians? <clears throat> yep. We've got some questions. Um, tonight's first question comes from one of our Patreon supporters. And did you know, Gary, Patreon supporters, they get first crack at questions. Mm-hmm. Of course they do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Of course they of course do they because do. we appreciate them. Um, and this one comes part of the fun of they are, they are indeed. This one comes from Jeremy, he's a Patreon supporter. Thank you, Jeremy. He says, Uh, I brewed a Hefeweizen for summer, and at final gravity, it has a huge hit of nail polish remover. The only advice I can find online online relates to yeast health and is to stop it happening. Uh, it relates to yeast health and is to stop it happening again. I am not. I'm reading something wrong there, but is there anything I can do to salvage salvage this batch? He adds, it's still in primary. It's been a week since I tried the sample, and it's still a solventy. So, Gary, you want to take a first crack at uh, answering this question? So was the the hip of the hip of ice. Hip of ice, presumably not not crazy high percentage. No. Uh, Solventy. So this is gonna this is gonna be uh, what? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Ethyl acetate, um, you know, usually bringing out that solventy, unless of course it was like fusels, but it's probably not. Um, in a yeah, hef- ethyl acetate is yeah, that's a, it's uh, usually um, produced in combination with acetic acid. So. Yeah, well, it can be certainly in in sours, but you can get it in in your in your normal beers. I mean, it's the what is the esterification really? So if when when a beer runs away with ester production particularly at like high temps which you know might have been a, a thing here especially with such an estery beer like a hefeweizen it, it doesn't stand to reason that some maybe those those banana esters just got away from him and turned into ethyl acetate uh so i am you gonna google to it for something quickly <laughs> my brain is not working um 
I do know about the the CEDIC thing that you're talking about, but I also know that it's not unheard of in in regular beers. And oh so. yeah, I mean it's it can be beer, but it's just I mean if you get a massive hit of nail polish, it just seems odd, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a lavish beer, well, I'm just I'm just I'm, my brain's confused at the moment with um, the acetates. Um, but anyway, um, uh, I think what you're talking about the banana one is different from what the nail polish one. Um, I actually, so, I think they're, I think they're on the, well, right, ethyl acetate at, at lower um, amounts, you know, can bring in that pear kind of quality from what I understand. But, you know, when it gets crazy, it tastes like solvent, you know, or nail polish or whatever. Um, but it's still a byproduct of esterification. And even, even if it's not the same ester, don't you reckon that that esterification process in such an estery beer like a Hefeweizen, you know, perhaps brewed, I, again, I don't know anything about how he's brewed this, but the, that's at least where my head goes first is maybe he's yeah. brewed it at too high of a temperature. Yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly temperature would be my first guess. And then, um, yeah, either not enough, like just a stressed yeast so maybe not enough or even like too much like to you're just getting a really hot ferment going yeah having- well i think i think too much might be a, a a possibility there i've i've i know i've come across some advice before to cut your your yeast pitch if you're having a an ethyl acetate problem and i think you know, you remember those beers a couple of years back that I, I was brewing and I was I was pitching just a shit ton of yeast and they were kind of getting this mild solventy thing and they were fermenting really, really fast. And mm. I think I think that was perhaps, um, you know, a problem that I was ha- having. So, again, there's not enough information here for us to really know. But that that was mm. my thought. When yeah, I read so the banana one is isoamylacetate. And the and the yeah, ethyl acetate is the solvent. It's yeah, which is I've I've never really got personally. I've never really got enough ethyl acetate in a beer where it's come across as nail polish though. Right. Um, and, and unless it's a, unless it's a unless it's had Brett or um, you know acetic acid in it, mm-hmm. um, because both of those with with um, with oxygen can produce ethyl acetate. Um, I, I guess you'd have to smell it, but yeah, certainly, certainly, get, I would say my best guess would be to really concentrate on your pitch rate and your temperature control. Um, and would you, you, would your first be, stop, stop be to be thinking he's over, or would your first stop be that he's over pitching or under pitching? Uh, probably under, and I would say at too high temperature, and it's just getting stressed, and then eventually getting going, and just yeah, just I don't know, um, doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But um, I would say my my best advice would be to start like pitched about seventeen degrees, with your with a healthy amount of yeast. Um, I don't know what, what how you're doing that, but if it's a, let's say it's a twenty liter beer using two packs versus one pack of dried yeast, if you're using that, or or you know growing up your your starter your yeast starter and making sure it's nice and thick um, with yeast before you pitch it, uh, tasting the yeast as well, making sure that that's in, in good condition. Um, because if you, you know, if you're getting any sort of, uh, any sort of, um, nail polishy stuff in your starter, then that's obviously not ideal either. Um, right. but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, that would be my best guess, John. Yeah. I'm, I'm there is a dry half yeast out there, isn't there? I'm only, 
only the liquid yeast are coming to mind, but I'm pretty sure one of the companies has a, has a dry one. My thought is that he's probably either doing one of two things, either using a liquid yeast and not growing it up or, or at least growing it up properly or, uh, using a, uh, dry yeast and overdoing it by, you know, trying to mm. do the right thing and pitching too much it of it. Be, in this particular yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose with, um, I mean, no, some of the common, I don't, I don't actually know, I haven't brewed too many hefts, but I think some people do say to try, try and underpitch to get some more esterification mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I, uh, I don't know, I, I had, thought I had to imagine you're getting a massive solvent kick in a 5% beer by over pitching. I don't, right. I just don't think that's possible right. unless you, unless you let the temperature get really away on them. Um, but you know, in a, like in an eight, nine percent beer, then, yeah, I could imagine that happening, but Hmm, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard when we don't have all the information in the sense that, like, maybe he doesn't have temperature control, and then immediately, you know, we'd be we'd be looking at temperature. Um, yeah. But w- if we had the ability, certainly, to, yeah, certainly be looking at um, infection as well. If it's if it's if it's the nail polish thing rather than the banana thing. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you that. Like, is there? I don't recall coming across infection as ever really being a cause for ethyl acetate. Well, there's oxygen. Ethyl acetate. Well, if there's oxygen involved, then you know um, you can still get a lot of nail polish without tasting the the acid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll just if, if there's oxygen getting into the fermenter, uh, mm-hmm. you know, after it slows down. I don't really. Yeah, again, not knowing the process, it's hard. Um, but yeah, any sort of acetic acid can uh, bacteria can get going and, and produce the ethyl acetate. Um, but yeah, who knows. Mm. Well, you know, if you got any more information for us, Jeremy, uh, you know, don't hesitate to get in touch. Um, either you can do it in, in the sort of Patreon area, or you can just get in touch. Uh, send us a message on Facebook. Happy to happy to uh, uh, you know send you some more information if we you know if you send us uh, a few clarifications there. But thank, thanks for the question. Um, all right, what do we got? We got. Let's see. Let's do one more if I can find them. Um, so Mark Mayberg says, as more of a comment, he says, oh, wow, you guys are alive. Um, I guess that uh, I think he means with newborns uh, slash new ventures brings. Always love the podcast. Um, thanks, Mark. Um, and we are we are still alive. Um, and I think that's the thing that we forgot to really sort of blame this all on, isn't it, Gary? We we both have, for the most part, newborns. You know, they or at least they were newborns when we went silent there six months ago. We both have uh, had kids in the last. Well, mine's a little. Don't blame me, John. That's pathetic. No, that's that is really. You don't, uh, well, have, you don't have a newborn child. Well, that's not you didn't. I have a year, one year old, and and six months ago I had a six month old and. Tell and I put on a lot of time to night. my child. Yeah, but but I'm exhausted at this time of night, and and so are you. And you also, you, you well, actually, well, I should really blame it all on you because I I do remember <laughs> doing putting out a lot of phone calls saying, "So can we record tonight? How about tonight? How about tonight?" And Shut and uh, kind of answer, but you no. But that's your, what are you doing? That was a great. Uh, that was a great your, little moment to give people insight into our lives so and the, 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 the children. Your fucking fury, oh, your fury brigade, mate. Oh man, whatever it is you thespians do. You, my fairy. Oh, that's what fairy brigade means to you. That that, that I'm an actor now. Is that is that what you're teasing? That I am now an actor. Well, so well. 
um, I forgot. Sorry, you cut you cut out. I I, could, I think somebody else was the uh, signal got crossed there. Um, you know what, Gary? We're sticking to well, this. We're sticking to this new um, format. Yeah, we're gonna call it a night. That's it. We're keeping it. We're keeping it. Two questions per show or so. So uh, so it's time for us to wrap up. We're gonna call it a night. But. Um, but I do want to. Well, I want to thank. I want to thank everyone. I want to thank our, our our amazing sponsors for helping out with the show. I want to thank our Patreons for um, supporting the show. I want to thank Oliver for uh, taking time out of his day to uh, share his story and share the recipe to one of his beers. Um, and I want to thank you, Gary. I want to thank you for being just the amazing guy that you are. So knowledgeable. So friendly. <laughs> So, so handsome. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, I just, Mm -hmm. I just appreciate you. And, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for for being part of this podcast. Oh, it's good. It's always good to hear that sort of thing, buddy. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. You're welcome. Thanks for saying that. You you are welcome, Gary. Mm -hmm. All right. Any final words, uh, for our listeners, Gary, before we, uh, before we, we go to bed. Ah, it's good to be back, mate. It's, It's great to be back, John. I'm, you know, really excited. And, uh, Looking forward to more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. All right. Good night, Gary. Good night, John. Good night, listeners. Cheers. Do it. Do you want to just do it? Yes, you do.